Welcome to the Redeemer Community Church Podcast. The following audio is from Redeemer Community Church, located in Johnson City, Tennessee. We hope it will be encouraging to you as you listen. to be here today. My name is Bryce Ballard. I've been a partner here at Redeemer for a couple years and then been the interim youth pastor for the last six months. And that's been a lot of fun getting to know those kids and pouring into them. It's just been a blast. But I am excited and privileged to kick off our sermon series through the month of December as we anticipate celebrating Christmas and the incarnation of our Lord. And we're gonna be walking through the four themes of Advent. And of course, the first one is actually hope. And I'm not gonna lie, when I first saw that that's what I was gonna end up to be talking about, I wasn't necessarily that excited about it. I saw it and I was like, man, that is probably not a word that a lot of us would use to describe the last couple of years, right? Hope is probably not like the first thing we we immediately go to when we think about some of the events that have transpired over the last couple years. In fact, I was talking to my wife about this and I was like, hey, you know, I think I'm gonna start the message by reading some of the current events that have happened the last couple years and kind of like setting the tone and just like really meeting people where they're at in these moments to which she wisely responded, that's not a good idea. <laughs> we know, right? Like, like we know we've been in it. We've lived it. We know it's been bad, right? We know that there's this kind of aura of hopelessness in our world. I'm usually a pretty positive guy. You know, who's all about the Enneagram in here? Right, let's see some hands. Some people are like, oh man, what's your number? It's like the first thing they say when they meet you. Like, what's your number? And then they try to like, you know, dictate who you're gonna be sometimes. You're like, wait, wait, I don't know. Is that what that number means? But I'm a seven, right? So, you know, venture on positivity. If you guys have been in the strength finders world, positivity's, you know, in my top five. But it would be insincere of me to get up here and be like, all right, let's lock arms and skip through fields of flowers and talk about how great the last couple years have been. Because for a lot of us in this room, It's been hard. For a lot of us in this room, it has felt very hopeless, right? There's been some hard things that have happened over the last couple years, and it just doesn't seem like there's been a lot to be hopeful for in our world. We've maybe as individuals been sick with COVID. Maybe we've known loved ones who have been sick with COVID or maybe even lost loved ones. Probably almost everybody in this room's job has been affected one way or another the last couple years. There's probably even people in this room who might have lost their job over the last couple years. Our economy seems to be holding on by a thread and our nation is anything but unified. There just doesn't seem like there's a lot to be hopeful for in our world right now. And my read may be wrong, but as I look at society as a whole, and even the microcosm of the church, it just seems like people are more anxious, more lonely, more lost, more hopeless than they ever have been before, at least in my lifetime. And I know you guys are like, well, you look like you're 16, so that's not very long. I get that. (laughs) But it's still heavy. It's just this heavy feeling that I think a lot of us have felt and are in it. Again, there just doesn't seem to be a lot of things to be hopeful for in our world. So I want you to wrestle with the question as we kind of walk through the message today. And that question is, if you've experienced a, a feeling of hopelessness in these last couple of years, or maybe you're even feeling that right now, my question is, what have you put your hope in to make you feel that way? 
right? I mean, the very definition of hopeless is being without hope, but to get to that point, I have to have put hope in something that has eventually let me down, right? I've had to put my hope in something that has left me hopeless, that has left me with a, with a feeling in my heart that, that that didn't fulfill what I expected it to. So what has that been for you? And don't, you know, it's very easy to like go like to the Sunday school answer and be like, well, no, you know, I, I know my hope is always in Jesus. And yes, that is true and praise the Lord for that. But I really want you to wrestle with that question. Really think about it and be honest with yourself. Dig deep in your heart and be like, hey, you know, is this a feeling that I've experienced over the last couple of years? Is this a feeling that I'm feeling now? And then ask yourself, what have I hoped in that has left me feeling that way? Has it been my job? Has it been a relationship? Has it been financial security? What is it in your heart that has left you maybe feeling a little hopeless? But before we dive into the word of God to explore this topic, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for time to slow down in our week and to dive into your word together as a community. Lord, I pray that your word would sift us and mold us today, Lord, and, and point us to you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak in and through me, Lord, that the words that come from me would, would only be from you, Lord, and therefore they would stick. So Father, we pray that you'd guide us today in Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you got your Bibles with you today, open up to Lamentations chapter 30. <laughs> and you guys are like, what in the world? He's supposed to be talking about hope. Why are we opening up to the book of Lamentations? The book literally means a call of grief, right? And yet here we are. But I think it is important. I think it is essential to kind of meet us, meet our world where it is right now. So let me set the scene of Lamentations before we dive into chapter three, okay? So let's go all the way back to David, King David. He has fought, he has been in wars, he has struggled, and he has eventually led Israel to the promised land, you know, the holy city, Jerusalem. He has worked effortlessly to build this city. He has worked this, this beautiful city in this magnificent economy. It's got, it's got these four walls around it that just seem impenetrable, and it is just flourishing. Then David ends up dying, right? His time has come, and Solomon steps in. And his son Solomon continues this trajectory of the people of Israel. They are flourishing, they are growing, their city is, is just amazing. It's this beautiful city on the hill. And then Solomon caps it off by building this beautiful temple to the Lord. And everything just seems to be going perfect. Everything just seems to be going well. They seem almost untouchable, impenetrable. This is where we find Israel when a dude named Nebuchadnezzar steps into the scene. Nebuchadnezzar shows up at their gates and Babylon's army with him. And they look at this holy city and they besiege it. No goods coming in and out. All of a sudden the economy starts to crumble and with it, the hopes of the people. And as the hopes of the people begin to crumble, Nebuchadnezzar and his army overtake this city. They take the people of Israel and they enslave them and they march them back to Babylon and this city is left in utter ruin. The, the beautiful temple of the Lord is just its foundations. It has been brought to its knees. The city has been brought to its knees. 
And this is where we see Lamentations come in. This is where we see Jeremiah step in, who is the author of Lamentations. And he goes through in the first couple chapters of Lamentations, he gives the theological reason of why all of this is happening. Why this once holy city, this beacon of hope, this city on a hill is destroyed. And basically summarizes the reality that Israel had turned from the Lord. And all of a sudden, Israel's story is beginning to come full circle, right? Captivity in Egypt, they're set free. They, they wander the, 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 the desert for 40 years, the wilderness for 40 years, and ultimately they're brought into the land, the promised land. And what do they do in the midst of their comfort? They end up putting their hope in other things that leave them hopeless. And the Lord's trying to wake them up here. And what happens? They're, the things that they had put hope in all of a sudden leave them hopeless because they're gone. They're no more. And this is where you find Jeremiah in chapter three. And as I read Jeremiah chapter three, I'm not gonna like go, you know, and break down all the Hebrew words and what they mean because it is poetry and it's a beautiful poem, but it's also a poem of lament, right? Lamentations, lament is where we get our word. But I want you to kind of put yourself in Jeremiah's shoes here. Again, that, that question that you're sifting through in your mind, what have I put my hope in the last few years that maybe have left me feeling hopeless? Put yourself in his shoes as he is sitting amongst the rubble of this once beautiful city, this once holy temple, this beautiful temple, and it's just gone. And this is his reaction. So if you would, Lamentations chapter three, verse one. I am the man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his wrath, he has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. You'll notice a few things in these first couple verses. Jeremiah is using I and me as if the Lord is directly afflicting Jeremiah as a person, right? Jeremiah is the representative for Israel to God. And so when he's saying these statements, we must be careful to acknowledge that Jeremiah is re representing the feelings of Israel as a whole. And he's saying, man, I once was experiencing light and now I am experiencing darkness, right? I once was in this beautiful city that we had all our hope in, and now it's just gone. And I feel like, Lord, you're against me. Verse four, he says, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy, Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my past crooked. I wonder how many of us in the last couple of years have felt like though we're praying for relief, maybe from our hopelessness to the Lord, that sometimes it just feels like a very real, like, Lord, do you, like, are, do you even hear me? Are you even there? I've been crying out. I've been asking for deliverance from this hopelessness that I am in, but yet it feels like you've shut out my prayer. How many of us, how many of those in our world have maybe felt this way over the last couple years as Jeremiah sits and is like, this is the reality of where I am at right now. I love his boldness as he talks to God. I think a lot of times we're afraid to like pray and tell God what we're really feeling, right? Like this is like really what's in my heart as if he didn't know already. <laughs> but Jeremiah here is just laying it all out. Verse 10, he says, he is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. 
He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys the arrow of his quiver. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has stayed in me with wormwood. And you can imagine, right? Israel has been through a lot of different communities and a lot of different people to get to the Holy Land, right? To get to the promised land of Jerusalem. And you can imagine as they're getting marched back to Babylon by the Babylonian army, that those cities are definitely looking at them and being like, ha, right? Like you got what's, what's coming to you. Look at you now, taunting, mocking. Look at you guys now. You know, you once were up here and you once were this just amazing community and amazing economy and you had everything you could ever wish for. Now you're getting marched back into slavery. Of course, I guarantee there was some enemies of Jerusalem that was really enjoying this moment. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. That gives me goosebumps. I'm like, just to think about that. And made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. What a statement. I have forgotten what happiness is. How many of us may have felt moments of that over these last couple years? But he's not the only one who has felt these things in the word of God. If you would flip over to John chapter 21, and we're gonna meet his disciples where they are at right after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. So you gotta picture this and imagine this kind of what has happened. The disciples have, have met Jesus and he says, come and follow me. And they spend the next three years following this guy, day and night, learning from him and putting all their hope in him. And then all of a sudden, he is crucified. All their hope was put in Christ and now they're watching almost as if their very hope is dying on the cross. They're left not knowing what to do. And although in the previous chapter, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples after his death, three days he rises again. Then Jesus leaves right after he reveals himself to them. So it's like, hey, I'm still alive, here I am. But then he leaves again. And so his disciples are left confused, lonely, anxious, and hopeless. They don't really know what to do. And this is where we find them. In John chapter 21, verse one, it says this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, well, you know, we'll go with you. So they went out and got in the boat, but that night they had caught nothing. In order to really understand what's happening here, we got to understand the cultural context of the Jewish educational system at this time. To really understand like the depths of what Peter is doing, we have to understand why in the world is he fishing to begin with. So go all the way back and look at like the Jewish educational system was brought into three steps, right? And kind of think of it as like our elementary, our middle school and our high school. All right, and so every kid, everybody in this room, if we were all kids, like everyone's going to elementary school. Everyone's gonna learn how to read. Everyone's gonna learn how to write. Everyone's gonna learn arithmetic. They're gonna do these things through the word of God, which is why by the time a lot of these kids left elementary school, they had a lot of the Torah memorized, right? Like the first whole, can you imagine the first whole five books of the Bible, just like memorized, able to like spat it off. I'm like, I try to memorize a couple verses and two weeks later, I'm like, wait, what was that again? Right, and so this is the way they're being taught. Well, at the end of elementary school, something peculiar would happen. The rabbi who was teaching them would look and he would take three-fourths of the people, three-fourths of the kids, and he'd say, you know what? You guys show promise. You guys seem smart. Kind of like you. 
you're gonna move on into middle school. We think you're worthy to move on to middle school. The rest of you, go home. Just go home. Go be with your dad, go be with your mom. Well, then middle school would happen, right? And the same thing would happen at the end of middle school. The rabbi would look, but this time he would cut the group in half. He would say, okay, now you have, like, good job. You know, you guys, you have promise. You guys are smart. Like, I want to continue to teach you. You guys can stay here. You guys can keep showing up to the tabernacle. We're going to keep doing education. The rest of you, sorry. (laughs) Go home. The males would learn their father's trade. They would go home and whatever their father had learned to do, that's what they would learn to do as well, to provide for themselves and their family. The females would go and they would be home and they would learn from their mom how to be a mom and how to be a wife. It was just the cultural climate of the day. Then from there, there would be a high school group. And from there, just like let's say these guys right here, and the rabbis would really just be pouring into you and teaching you. And then from that group, only two or three, the rabbis would make this statement to them. He would say, come, follow me. Sound familiar? Come, follow me. And so from that high school group, only two or three were deemed to be worthy to continue on in their educational process and eventually become rabbis themselves. They would be so much like the rabbi that was teaching them. You know, they'd be walking along in the middle of the day and they'd be like, oh yeah, that guy goes with that rabbi. Like he talks like him, he walks like him, he looks like him, like he's being completely discipled by that specific rabbi of the town. It's a fascinating thing. But then remember where the disciples are when Jesus calls them. The disciples are in and doing their father's trade. Peter is in and doing his father's trade. What does that tell us about Peter? Peter had been deemed by society to not be good enough to continue his education. Like, sorry, man, like you don't show enough promise. You're gonna go home and you're gonna learn how to be a fisherman from your father. Fast forward to the scene in John chapter 21. Again, Peter looks at Christ. Christ is crucified, his hope with him. And what does Peter go back to? being a fisherman, doing his father's trade. He's confused, he's lonely. Everything that he had put his hope in, he feels like is gone. So what does he do? He resorts to going back to something comfortable, something that he thinks he can control in order to put his hope in. He's like, well, if I can't put my hope in Christ because I watched him die, maybe I'll put my hope in my job and I'll just go back to that. But the story doesn't end there. Peter goes out and and they fish and what happens? Well, they come back with nothing which is even worse. It's like, not only have I put my hope in my job, but now my job is not, like I'm not even doing a good job at it. I'm coming back and I don't have any fish. But something crazy happens. Verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish, right? Definitely going back to the first time we see Jesus do this with Peter. The disciples whom Jesus loved were therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. All of a sudden light bulb comes on, right? When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garments for he was stripped for work and he throws himself into the sea. And this beautiful picture of Jesus who, or, or Peter who's standing in his boat, what he has put his hope in in his job, all of a sudden is reminded as Jesus stands before him, there's my hope. And he's just like, I don't even care. Like I'm just gonna dive into the sea and go to him. I'm gonna pursue that hope. I'm gonna go after that hope. This is where my hope lies. So I go back to the question I asked earlier to you guys at the beginning of this message. What 
have you put your hope in the last couple years that has left you wanting? Where have you put your hope in that maybe didn't quite fulfill you, left you struggling, left you feeling hopeless because it didn't just quite fill that hole in your heart? Again, I ask is, was it your job? Was it a relationship? Was it your education? Was it your social status? What in it, what did you put your hope in? And to be honest, I think most of us know that ultimately didn't fulfill us, that ultimately didn't bring us hope because this is what we have done with hope. We've made hope a past reality or a future reality, but not a present one. You see, this is what we do. We look and we say, well, hope is what happened back when Christ redeemed me, back when Christ saved me. My hope is back there. Like, look at the moment of my life when, when the Lord grabbed hold of me and I, I gave my life to Christ. That's where my hope is. But then life happens and we sin and we struggle. And now we look at ourselves in the mirror and we're like, man, I, I've messed up. How can the Lord still love me? I guess that idea of hope was something that just happened that one time back then. And so what do we do? We're left in the present with this longing for hope. And so we go and we look to our jobs and we look to our relationships and we look to our financial security and we're like, well, at least this is something I can control. So I'm just gonna throw all my hope in here. It's just like Peter standing on the boat, right? Like I'm just gonna put all my eggs in this basket and hope that it turns out well. The next thing we do is we look and we're like, okay, well, hope is something that's gonna happen in the future when Christ returns and there's no more tears and there's no more pain right? Just perfection with Jesus Christ. Yes, that is true. And that's a real hope. But when that happens, it's like my son Brooks. He likes to play fetch with himself. So he's got a ball. He's only 10, you know, 10 months, but he does this. He throws the ball and he goes and he crawls after it and then he gets it and he throws it again, right? Like it's like he never, he, he never can quite like get the ball and be satisfied with it. It's just like this constant, just like, well, hope's out there and I'm just gonna keep throwing it down the road, kicking the rock down the road and eventually maybe I'll get to it. You know, it's this, it's this future event that maybe one day I'll finally get to and feel like, oh, I have hope. And so what do we do? Well, it's the same thing. We're in the present. And so we throw our hope into things that we think we can control and we're left wanting every single time because hope is not just a past reality. Hope is not just a future truth. Hope is a present reality and truth found in the person of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. We must stop acting like, hey, there's no hope found in him or that I can control it and put it here and put it there and put it there. It is found in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And that hope is a present reality. That is why we say Emmanuel, God with us. Not God was with us or God will be with us. God with us now. This season of Christmas, we have hope, brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, because we are united to Jesus Christ and he is a constant, perfect, never changing God who has called us to be united to him. And as hope is found in him, as we are united to him, so we have hope. So brothers and sisters, may we be a church that looks a little different than the world. May we be a church that when the world seems hopeless and dark and lonely, we're able to look and be like, yes, that may be true, but we can stand firm in the hope that our hope is in Jesus Christ. May the world look and be like, they're just different because their hope is in something different. 
May we look at each other and when we see each other struggling and, 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 and sense hopelessness in the lives of our brothers and sisters, may we be able to lovingly come alongside them and say, hey, don't forget, right? Like no one's discounting the emotion of, of the things that happen in our lives are sometimes hard, but hey, don't forget. Your hope is found in Jesus Christ and it's untouchable by the world. The world can't touch it. It's found in him. And if you're a non-believer in this room, I can't say this bold enough. Hope is not out there in the world. Scratch and claw, you might turn over every stone. Look, try to find it. It's not gonna be there. And I think if you search your heart enough, you know that to be true because you've been looking for hope for a long time. Is Jesus Christ tapping you on the shoulder today and saying, look to me, like this is it. This is the hope that I have for you. It is the person of Jesus Christ, our incarnate Lord, Emmanuel, God with us. And before I pray, I wanna double back to Lamentations and just read this. Because we left off Jeremiah just kind of sitting, you know, amongst the rubble, depressed and lonely. But even in that moment, we see Jeremiah do something peculiar. We see him preach truth to himself and remind himself of the hope that is found in God. Look what he says, verse 19. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the warm word and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you offer us hope. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in a world to, 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 to just scratch and claw and try to find in the things that cannot bring us hope, but that you sent your son, our incarnate Lord, to bring us hope. So Lord, may we look to him this week, may we look to him this month, may we look to him this season, this year, as our only place of hope, because hope is found in him alone. His mercies are new every morning. Praise be to God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this audio from Redeemer Community Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. You can connect with us and find out more information at RedeemerCommunity.com.